0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast joined today. He's the co-host of the Fit Mess podcast, Mindset, Life Coach, and Entrepreneur. It's Jeremy Grader. How are you doing today, Jeremy?
1: Good. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy
0: to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up.
1: Uh, I was uh, born and lived a lot of my life just outside of Seattle, a little bit north in a town called Everett. Uh, grew up with sort of your standard uh, garden variety trauma with uh, some alcoholism in the family and uh, lack of ambition. And, you know, I, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, if you asked anybody but my mom if I had any potential to become anything, everybody would have said, mm, maybe not that guy. Um, so... It's been a bit of an adjustment trying to sort of relearn everything I should have learned, uh, access to things I wish I had when I was younger. Just ideas that, that you can be anything that you want and you can pursue your dreams. And it's okay to fail along the way and, and learn those lessons and pivot and, and, uh, figure out, you know, sort of what that detour was, uh, was trying to teach you.
0: Going through those traumas at a young age, was it hard to kind of interact with other kids because maybe you, they didn't relate to what you were going through or was that your way of escaping from what was going on? I think I still struggle to interact with other kids.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, when, when you've got that kind of stuff going on, I mean, again, nothing, nothing that I don't think most people in the eighties didn't go through, but, uh, there's there's a sense of you know make yourself small, stay out of the way, don't be seen. There's there's enough sort of chaos and 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 uh, instability in the home. Don't add to it with your whining and your needing of things and and having needs as a human being. So you you tend to sort of get small and stay out of the way. And when you spend you know most of your adolescence that way, it's really hard into your twenties and thirties and forties. To, to figure out that, you know, Hey, I deserve to be here as much as the next person. And, and I'm going to go ahead and take up some space and, and carve out a path for myself.
0: Did you find anything that you were passionate about during those times?
1: I loved video games. They were a great escape, you know, I, eating, eating turned out to be really cool. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I, I tried out for the football team and, and I quit after the first day of practice because it was too hard. I dropped out of high school. Cause it was too hard. I shouldn't say it was too hard. I wasn't motivated to, to try harder, like everything that I knew was stay out of the way. So when I wasn't good at something, when I didn't hit the field and, and immediately was the, the greatest player to ever play the game or whatever, I figured, well, that's not for me. And I would give up over and over again. And that was sort of the path and, and the, and the, the story that kept playing out over and over again was that, you know, if, if I wasn't, you know, pardon the old man reference here, but if I wasn't Luke Skywalker and, you know, chosen, you know, by somebody, some grand wizard to, uh, to make me the hero, then that wasn't meant for me. So um, that, that was sort of a, a lifelong struggle that it took to, uh, some time to figure out how to, how to escape from.
0: Did anyone try to stop you from making that decision to drop out of high school?
1: No, actually, it, it, it's really funny. I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to tell my mom uh, enough of this. I'm just going to go to work because this school stuff is for suckers. And I remember thinking that she was really going to push back and, and give me a hard time and say no. And I would spend you know the next two and a half years finishing high school. But she was like, all right, if that's if that's what you feel is right for you, go for it. And, and my brother, I found out later, was like, is she had her mind. You, <laughs> why don't you just let him do that? Uh, but, you know, she was a, a single mom trying to raise three kids by herself. And she had, you know, at least one job, probably more if I if I you know were to ask her about it. So the last thing she needed was some kid hassling her about whether or not he was yeah, going okay. to school or not.
0: I couldn't imagine my mom allowing me. She'd be like, OK, so for not going to school anymore where are you going to get the money you're not going to be able to afford anything because you're yeah. not going to have to start paying for things in the house and she was a single mom at the time and it's just like did you have a game plan thinking like after you the, the last day of school or you were there at high school what was next did you know what the future was going to be like or you're just like whatever happens happens
1: yeah. I mean, I had a job, you know, I worked at a movie theater and I loved that. I always, I've i always loved movies. And, um, you know, I loved that. That was a really fun thing to go and hang out with those people. I felt accepted there. I felt heard there. I felt like I had a role. I was promoted pretty quickly because I really liked what I was doing. Um, and so, you know, I I saw enough people that that I could relate to that I thought this is something that I can I can make a career out of. This is something that I don't need to go to college for. I don't need to finish high school for this. I'm already on a good path here. Uh, you know, which obviously was not uh, d- did not last. That was not the, the long term uh, uh, way that that story
0: ended. Did there ever become a chance where it's like, I don't think I need to be here much longer at the, working at the movie theater, I need to kind of go out and see if I can build up a career build some more skills and things like that.
1: There wasn't really, I mean, you know, like I said, I dropped out of high school and, and uh, I had an aunt and I still have an aunt, but at the time she was super supportive and really kind of swooped in and was like, Hey, if you go back to school, we will pay for it. You know, we will, we will do these things. And I was sort of seeing that, you know, Hey, as it turns out, working in the movie theater may not be a lifelong uh, career thing. So I did, I went back to school and I got, uh, I eventually got my diploma and eventually an associate's degree and, and those sorts of things, but it was more. Like, I feel like I sort of followed my family's path of, you know, no, just go get a better job. Like this one's not going to pay the bills. Go find something that will pay better. And so I had a friend that met, you know, introduced me to somebody else and and I ended up getting a job at a video store, uh, which ultimately was where I met my wife. But, um, but no, there was never like this big like dream or this goal that I wanted to be. It was more just how can I make more money to cover the rent next month?
0: Do you feel that if you had like a role model or someone that it was an inspiration to you at that age that maybe it would have changed your mind about finishing high school at that time or do you feel that you were so confident in making that decision that nothing could stop you from changing it
1: I mean I I feel like my brother was was sort of that like he sort of stepped in where my dad failed um all, and ultimately I don't I don't know how he let me drop out as I as I look back Um, but, but like I said, my aunt was a huge influence and, and ultimately I saw in her something that I wanted to emulate as I grew up. I was like, I want to be somebody who can eventually give back. I want to be somebody Mm -hmm. who will have the resources or just the heart to see that somebody's struggling. Somebody's on a path that's not going to end well. How can I be of service to that person and and sort of coach them into a a, a different way of thinking or a different perspective to have a little bit more ambition and, and to have a little more belief in themselves that they could be more.
0: When you went back to get your diplomas and stuff, what was that dream job that you were wanting? Uh, well,
1: I mean, it's it's sort of funny. I, I sort of had the back of my mind that I was going to become a talk radio host because <laughs> my brother, who was sort of the father figure, was a really big talk radio fan. And he ended up, uh, a friend of his worked in talk radio. And really long story short, uh, I ended up going to work with him one day to see what he did. And when I walked into that radio studio, I just was like, whatever this is, is what I want to do. This is incredible. Like, you guys come in here every day and just talk about stuff. This is amazing. Like, how, how is this a job? You know, so, um, so yeah, ultimately, I, I remember telling other classmates, like, yeah, I, I want to be a talk show. So that would be super fun to, to be able to pull that off.
0: I love watching the videos now where the radio stations are having, like, they're filming what they're like in the radio station and like yeah. showing like a behind the scenes. And I'm thinking you would never get this from just listening to them, but right. their excitement, you know that they're having so much fun and then seeing the video and you're like, I want to do that because it's interesting that that was what you wanted to be. And look where you're at now. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a full circle because I was going to be a game show host. That was like, Oh, my sure. dream. Yeah. And obviously I'm not a game show host right now, but I'm still a host in the way. And I still have that energy and stuff. And it's like, never what I thought at that time, this is where I would be at today.
1: Is right, it crazy
0: but- how full circle it kind of has gone? I
1: mean, not really. When when I look back and, and sort of connect the dots of how it all came together. I mean, yeah, I I was a guy with absolutely no experience, but a connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a job application and I applied for whatever you'll hire me for, you know, I, I, that literally I told the hiring managers, like, I don't know, whatever, like whatever job you have, that's the one I'm applying for. And I, I think my first job at the radio station, I think my official title was something like weekend part-time overnight when we're super desperate board operator. Like, <laughs> like I, cause I didn't know how to run a board. Like the only skills I, I convinced them that being able to, to be a projectionist and play a movie in a movie theater, was the same as running a mixing board for a live radio show. I was like, totally different. I mean, they're both putting on a show and sort of being behind the scenes, but otherwise, like, I don't know what all these faders and buttons do and how this microphone's plugged into that thing over there. And so I, you know, I didn't get it, but I did know when I was in that door was an opportunity for an education. And so I didn't necessarily learn from people, but I just, I started just kind of pushing the buttons and seeing what they did and I saw the people in the newsroom and how they were recording sound and I would just kind of look over their shoulder and then I'd go and I'd record whatever I was producing and whatever I was, you know, running the board for and try and play with that sound and move it around. And how could mm-hmm. I make this guy say something he didn't say and all these little things. Uh, and, and then I got to know uh, some of the producers and the talk show hosts that were in the studios two doors down. So, I mean, you know, my first job was like literally pushing a green button every 20 minutes. So I would push the green button and I would run down the hall and I would watch this live talk radio show happening in front of my face. And then I'd run back and push the green button again. And so that was super educational because I learned from these just amazing people in this top rated market, how to do this just by being in the room. I was super lucky. And then, uh, as that was going along, it, it was my brother who a few years into it said, Hey, I'm starting to hear about this thing called podcasting, um, you know, I love talk radio. You work in talk radio because I'd eventually worked my way up and I was producing and doing some things behind the scenes. And my brother said, you know, this, this podcasting thing sounds like it's going to be something. Uh, why don't we take your skills and my love for this and let's just do a podcast. And if nothing else, it's just a way for us to talk once a week and, and just hang out. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. So we started doing that. And that show lasted for 13 years. It just wow. nobody ever listened to it. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> uh, but it was good. Right. I mean, it took it took five years to get good. We ended up bringing in my friend and turned it from like two idiots who didn't know anything about politics, talking about politics to three drunken friends rambling and telling hilarious stories about their lives. And so it was a good show. And, and I'm, I'm really sad that more people didn't hear it. But. But I also found uh, in doing that show, the connection to the audience that we did have. We, I mean, we, we made friends around the country. I flew to Florida one time. I think we were going to Disney world or something. And one of our listeners literally picked us up from the airport and like wow. picked me and my wife and child up from the airport. And we went out to dinner and hung out with them. Like we would get emails from people that were like taking care of their, of their dying mother. and And she was like. I'm super alone. I'm only with my mom, you know, 20 hours a day, but I have you guys and you are the barbecue on the back porch. Like all these things It's just like, we're, we're affecting people's lives with this nonsense that we do once a week. Like, this is incredible. So, so the arc, as I look back, makes sense, but you know, tell the high school dropout, Hey, you're going to, you know, you're going to change people's lives. Yeah, he, he wouldn't believe that.
0: Did you feel when you got into the radio job that your confidence and kind of your skills were coming out more like feeling more like, wow, I can believe in myself more. I have what it takes to do this.
1: No, I and I I don't know that I that I've found that yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like I'm good at what I do. I, I feel like, you know, we put on a good show. We, what we do is good, um, but it just it wasn't even like a lack of confidence, confidence. It was more like, like you and I are talking right now. That's what I did with my, with my hosts. So when I was their producer and they'd bring, Oh, Jeremy, did you hear about the blah, blah, blah. And then I had to be the wacky sidekick. I just was talking to my friend, right? It wasn't like this special skill. And I just, that was, that was one of the first lessons I learned that that really transitioned into the podcast that I've done is just being really authentic. Just be who you are. If you, if you walk in there and try and put on a song and dance Put on some show and pretend that you're somebody you're not, that's not going to resonate with people. People are not looking for you know a performer in, in that venue. People want a friend, they want someone to hang out with them. And so every show that I've gone into, every consulting job I've done, every producing thing that I've done, that's what I tell people. It's just like just be you and and, and enjoy it and and be okay with that. Maybe three people will listen. But if you do something you don't love, because you're trying to make money and get famous, it's going to suck the soul right out of you, no matter how much money you make. But if you do something you love and you change three people's lives, that's super rewarding.
0: Was there ever a time where you talked about earlier that anytime something got hard, you would just quit. Was there a moment during this job where it got tough, but you had that kind of second thought I'm not quitting.
1: Well, I mean, there's the point where I almost got fired right away. Um, There was, so I, one of the shows I ran was this, it was like a, like rebroadcast of like old time radio
0: Mm -hmm. and it
1: ran on like Saturday and Sunday night. There was two in a row on Saturday night and Sunday night. And it was like, one was at 11, one was at 12 at night. And then the next night, the next two in the series came on. Well, I messed up one of them and I played the wrong one. So rather than then playing the one that was scheduled, I made the executive decision with like three weeks on the job to go, Oh no, I'll play the one that makes sense to play after the one that just played. Because if I'm listening to that, I'm going to want to hear that. My boss just torched me the day after. He's just like, you do not have the authority to decide what goes on the air. Like we got all kinds of you know, calls from people that were mad that wanted to hear the one that was supposed to be on. And I just remember thinking, Oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Like who am I to have made that call? Like that was so, mm-hmm. that was a huge, like scary moment. And so, um, but it, but it came from, you know, I was a manager before at, at other jobs. And so I just felt like, oh, I, this, this makes sense to me. I'm just going to do this. And, and that was a huge mistake. And had I not had a super forgiving and understanding boss, I don't know what I'd be doing today.
0: So after that experience, what was next for you? It was just kind
1: of a lot of uh, bouncing around in radio and not really knowing what the long game was. Sort of feeling like, oh, this is fun if I can make this work. Um, there was some tragedy along the way. One of the hosts that I worked with, uh, (laughs) this is dramatic, but he was murdered. Um, and it was horrible. He was, he was like a mentor to me. He was, he in many ways was a father figure. Um, so that was, that was very traumatic. Uh, and, and I, you know, got through that and just never really knew what to do after that, because I sort of felt like I was going to be working with him for, for most of my career. And so, I did. I kind of floated for a while, and eventually, I, I had my first daughter. And then, you know, some some health problems started popping up. It was nothing, you know, nothing critical, no, no like cancer or anything. Just I, uh, I was having some trouble with my knees, and uh, I had was, I had the dumbest knee injury you've ever heard of. I literally getting out of bed, I hurt my knee, and went to a physical therapist, and she's like, "Yeah, it's probably some kind of nerve damage. I don't know." But the bigger issue is. The way that your knees are formed, if you don't get on a bike and, and move your knees a bunch, you're going to end up doing what your parents before you've done and have your knees replaced. And that was all I needed to to take it seriously. But I still was like, ride a bike? What am I, six? Like, that's insane. So I went and complained to my brother. And he was like, dude, this is really simple. This is This is not a difficult problem to solve. You need to decide you're that weird guy that rides his bike to work every day. Just go buy some used bike and start bike commuting. And something about the way he said that and the way and and the time that he said it, I just immediately put that hat on and became that guy. Like I bought a bike in a week and I started bike commuting and it was incredible. I I I fell in love with it mostly because it was, you know, it replaced my, my bus commute, but, but also it really taught me for the first time what it meant to be truly in the moment. Because if you're riding on a bike on city streets and you are not paying attention to what you're doing right now, it's going to end badly. One time it ended badly and, and I crashed. And it was terrifying. Yeah, you know, I, I remember laying in the middle of the street. I couldn't get up. I had a broken collarbone and all these people ran out. And they're like, oh my God, are you okay? And it, it was super scary uh, to, to sort of have that moment of like, I almost didn't get out of this. This, this was, this was bad. And that was kind of an eye-opener. And it, d- during my recovery i was i was given some pain pills that were magical i mean they were they were really magical and after about a week of them i was like i cannot take these anymore because this is not going to end well for me because i i'm somebody who again like i came from a home where where alcohol was in the in the house um i you know as an adult i relied on it to manage my emotions to to manage my help my you know mental health problems And, uh, and so that was adding to it and I was already on, um, antidepressants trying to deal with my depression issues. And I just thought, this is not something I need to continue. And, uh, so I quit taking them and it was interesting how much it just showed me that I could do something difficult. And so I thought, well, if I can quit those, I'm going to quit these antidepressants and see how that feels. So I quit those. And then when those stopped, I thought, well, geez, I don't really need to drink either what if I just don't drink for a month? Well, that was five years ago. So I, you know, I've, I've not, I've not used alcohol either. And I was never like an alcoholic, but it was just something that that I depended on when times got tough. I was like, Oh, I can just drink those feelings away and not process them. What was amazing though, was how getting on that bike, getting clean started to just open other doors. And I met my, my co-host Zach through this process. And, uh, He was a couple of years ahead of me on the, on the health journey. And I just saw him doing some things that, you know, I I laughed at and was like, well, that's crazy. I would never do something like that. And then I would find myself a year or two later saying, Hey, did you hear about this thing? Like you hear about this cold therapy. This is some pretty cool stuff. And he's like, yeah, dummy. Remember I told you about that two years ago. (laughs) So, so we just started kind of opening up to each other and sharing these stories of, you know, well, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to lose some weight. I did this and this worked for me, or I'm doing this workout and this works for me. Or just really sharing the struggle of being dads and and you know the the emotional toll that that takes, and we sort of realized that we didn't really know other guys that had those conversations we didn't we didn't see a space or know of a space where where guys were sharing as openly as we were with each other, and we were getting so much out of it uh and and my previous podcast that I told you about had ended at that point because getting sober and and getting clean didn't really play well with drunken comedy anymore mm-hmm. so Zach said, you know, why don't we use your podcasting skills and, and let's share these conversations with people because there's other men, there's other people out there that would benefit from them. And that was sort of how our show was born.
0: Before the show came about, was it hard for you to even open up to your wife or family about things you were going through?
1: Hmm. I don't know that it really was. I mean, I still struggle to open up to people close to me because there's a fear of scaring them away. You know, if if they see, if they see any sign or anything that resembles the voices that I hear in my own head, that I feel like that's going to scare them away. So that, that is still a struggle for me. Um, But there is something about the microphone that becomes a therapist's office, which is really weird. Like there's things I'll say on the show that like, if my (laughs) wife asked, I wouldn't be like, Oh, well, let me tell you all about my mental health problems. But then, you know, there's something about knowing that this is going to help somebody that just sort of allows it to come out. And, and maybe it's because there's not necessarily somebody sitting there who's going to, like, try and fix it, judge it, whatever. And if they are, they're, they're in their car in Ohio, you know, or whatever. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, so I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know that it's really any different. But I do know that there's something about uh, sharing that part of me with random strangers that feels safe.
0: You know, I can actually agree with that because I first, I've been on a journey with diabetes for 16 years. And oh my God. I haven't really gone so deep with people unless they're like close friends and family. But I did a show months ago and for, for an hour and 40 minutes for the episode, it's just talking about my story. And you get onto that microphone and you just start talking yeah. and. I I, To me, it's like, if I help one person, that's fine. If I help hundreds, even better. But that wasn't, my mission wasn't to tell people how to live their life. It was just, this is my version and maybe you can adapt to it. Utilize something that I learned about myself. But when you said that it's easy to talk to strangers over on a podcast, it's so true. Because like for us, we're just talking and- we don't know who's listening. I mean, there could be someone in Canada or some other country listening to this and they're like, Oh, that's interesting. I'm going through the same thing, but that's the power that a show has nowadays is it's so global that anyone's story can help one person or so many people.
1: That was the thing. Zach was really insistent on doing it. Um, cause he followed, you know, all the self-help people. And he's like, these people change people's lives. This is awesome. And I was really hung up on, well, there's nothing on my wall that says I have any business telling people here's yeah, what cool. I'm doing to get healthy. You should do the same thing. And, and ultimately through sort of, you know, working the, the concepts and the ideas of what we wanted it to be. I got really comfortable with the idea that, so much of my pain is imagined because I think I 'm the only one. Nobody can relate to me. Nobody knows what it 's like to to you know hate yourself as much as I do or to have these just this constant you know battle with depression where it will show up and it 's like, oh well, you're not leaving your bedroom for three days yeah, you know yeah. all these things that that feel so lonely and so isolating, and then it 's super rewarding when you do share that kind of pain, and somebody's like, "Oh my god, me too that's I get it i've been there i've been worse." I do this, and sometimes that helps. And th- there's just something so much uh, – uh, there, there's just so much value in that, I think, that, that, again, like you said, if there's that one person who's hearing me talk about the fact that when I get depressed, I don't want to leave my room, mm-hmm. and they're like, God, I thought I was the only one, then this whole hour is worth it, right? Because we, yep. we just help yep. that one person feel a little bit less alone.
0: You talked about your kids. Are you more trying to show them that to be open and kind of tell people and share for them to be open when they grow up? And if they're going through something that they can be similar and be able to open up and share with you.
1: I I mean, I'm very fortunate or maybe I should say they're very fortunate to to be growing up in a time when that is kind of the norm, you know, like Mm -hmm. they went to preschools where The primary focus was on sharing emotions, identifying emotions. What are they? Where are they coming from? And we had, I mean, just our kids had an amazing preschool experience and they gave us a bunch of resources so that we could go to them and say, your feelings are valid. They matter. Your voice in this family matters. Like be big, be seen. Like don't, don't ever let anything I say, bringing all of my baggage, you know, reflect Mm -hmm. on you. Don't, don't take anything that I say when I'm in a bad mood or if I say the wrong thing or you know, I lose my temper and yell at you and tell you to go to your room or something. It's not about you. That's all about me. And so I'm constantly like, if I, if I screw up, I'm apologizing as quickly as I can. I'm showing them my flaws. I, if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry in front of them because they need to see that that their dad is capable of the full you know spectrum of emotions. So emotions are very welcome in our home and, and we try and create a space for them to share them. Uh, but you know, I fail because I—that's I, not something I was raised with. It's something that I've had to, in the second half of my life, really figure out. How do I allow this this thing that I never experienced to to happen every single day? So I fail a ton, and and I just try and own up to it whenever I can. Just share with them that it's okay. What they did was okay. I'm the one that failed them.
0: Do you enjoy biking for fun instead of? Or do you still commute through biking?
1: Uh, I have since moved out into the middle of the mountains in British Columbia. So there's not much of a commute anymore, Um,
0: but I do. I love biking. Is it a different feeling now at where you were before when you started biking to where you are now and kind of there's a different kind of mindset to it? The thing about, I
1: think, biking that I love and why I try and convince people that struggle the way I did before starting it is that there's something that that. Sort of happens automatically when you get on the bike because you immediately, I mean, you're you're completely unstable. You're yeah. on these two tiny wheels, trying to balance, trying to find the right speed where you don't feel like you're gonna die and not going too slow that the car behind you is gonna smash into you or whatever. It's I mean, you're you're just forced into a, a mindful presence where you have to be in that moment. And it's amazing because. You can be having the worst day. It's just, The morning was way off. Everybody's yelling at each other. It was crazy. And you're just mad about it. And you're disappointed in yourself for the way you handled it. Now you got to go deal with whatever, you know, clients or, or work you have to do. But you get on the bike, poof, it's gone. Because if you're not yep, paying yep. attention to what you're doing right now, none of that other stuff matters anyways. So that's, I mean, yeah, whenever I get the chance, I, I love to get on that bike because it it just brings me into the moment in a way that almost nothing else does. Because you really don't have a choice,
0: which location's better for biking or your favorite where you are now in British Columbia or when you were in Seattle area?
1: uh I mean the when I worked and lived in Seattle, it was better because it was it was built into my routine. I had to do it otherwise I had I had to ride the bus where people got stabbed all the time. so my chance oh, you yeah. know the odds I was riding was either get stabbed or get in a bike accident, and I like the odds on my bike better so I liked that it was built into the routine and and there really wasn't much of a choice. There wasn't a oh, should I go bike today? Where now I work from home. So I don't have to go bike anywhere. Uh, you know, I have to get the bike out of the shed and get the helmet on and all the thing. Like it becomes this bigger deal and we're out on this big country road where there's not a lot of cars, but if there is one, it's going seventy. <laughs> like I don't I don't really want to ride next to that guy. So you know, I, I think if it was based purely, if I had to make a decision based purely on where would you more likely ride your bike the most, it would be back in Seattle.
0: Has fitness changed your mental health, mental mindset into a greater thing now? Oh, entirely, entirely. And, and it works both ways. When,
1: when you start to find some clarity in your head, you start to find room for, oh, I, I also want to take care of my body. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it goes the other way where you're just, you're just the, the, you know, the noise in your head, the chaos, the stress, the anxiety, the depression, all of it is too much, but you get into a gym and you focus on lifting a few heavy things or yep. you know, running to the point where you just collapse again, all that stuff fades away because you've just got to be in that moment and lifting that heavy thing or, or running and, and paying attention to what you're doing. And there's just something about, I, I mean, I, I don't have the science to back this up, but to me, I feel like all that energy in your head, all that noise is energy. And it's just going, I want to move. I need to be processed. I need to go somewhere. So if it comes out in the form of sweat and exhaustion, it still comes out. And you know, there's, there's people that approach that with art, with music, with a bunch of different things. For me, I found a lot of relief in, in physical exercise to, to manage my mental health, for sure
0: for someone that's listening to this interview, that's questioning, how do I get started? Um, as I had that same kind of struggle, just getting started, what would you tell them for someone that has been through that journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as someone who's 70 pounds lighter than I used to be, who can lift more than I've ever been able to lift, who can jump farther than I've been, ever been able to jump. Like I'll tell you, there's no one thing, but it just starts with any one thing. It starts with finding something you will do every single day. Yep. So for most people, that's a 10 minute walk. You can go take a walk around the block and call it good. Do that for a week, two weeks, whatever. At some point you're going to do that. And your body's going to go, you know, you can do a little more than that. Why don't we, why don't we do a second lap, tack on five minutes, then maybe add a little bit of water to your routine, but whatever it is, swimming, whatever, like just find If you ride, ride a bike, whatever it is, just commit to something you know you'll do every day and just tell it. Just decide, I'm the person that does this every day. I'm the person that goes for a walk every single day. And then maybe you'll go five days, but you went five days more than you went last week. So whatever it is, just, just find something you can commit to and decide you're the person that does it and then just do it. And then it's amazing that opening that one door... We'll introduce you to three more doors where now all of a sudden, oh, maybe I'm going to try the yoga studio down the street. I've I've been driving by it for 10 years. Maybe I should pop in there and see how it's going. And then all of a sudden you're in there and they're like, oh, we're going to do a quick meditation at the end of the class. And then you do that for 10 minutes. Like, oh God, I feel so relaxed. I feel at peace. This is great. So now you're meditating and you're doing yoga and you're walking and you're drinking more water. Like all these things in a year, in two years, you'll look back and go, man, if somebody told me I was doing these 25 things every day, there's no way I would have done them. But because you did that one, you know, you put on the shoes and you went outside one day, it'll change your life.
0: So you mentioned that you start, you're a podcast host called the Fit Mess Podcast. What has been the greatest moment from doing that show, especially during this time? You know, I, th- I think
1: more than a moment, it's just selfishly, it's been an amazing accountability tool. It's, it's really, really difficult to do a show like this week after week after week. And to go on other shows week after week after week and and sort of share advice and tips and tricks and all the things when, you know, you're sitting on the couch eating Doritos five nights a week. Like (laughs) it's really, you know, it is, it's, it's been a great motivational tool. So that's another one thing you could do is start a podcast talking about this stuff. Because All of a sudden you're all kinds of accountable to a bunch of people. Um, but I think that's been one of the things that's, that's been really helpful. Just selfishly is just that I have to take better care of myself. Otherwise, I'm a complete phony and a fraud. And I'm doing the thing that I've been advising people not to do for, for years
0: and years. How did you meet Zach when, before you started? I was,
1: we were, we were, uh, parents, right? Like our, our kids, uh, I, I think my wife and his wife, they were part of the same like fit mom group where they would go, I think they did triathlons and stuff. Oh, wow. And it was one of these things where where they were like, oh, we should get the husbands together for a brunch, and we got together, and you know, it was your typical guys like, oh, hey, how about that sports ball event that happened the <laughs> other day, you know? And because you got you got to keep that guard up because you never know if that other guy is the kind of guy that you can say, hey, I really struggle with my mental health. How about you? Yeah. Um, but there were just enough sort of cracks in the armor as as more and more brunches and get-togethers happened where we were like, oh yeah, I I do that too. Tell me tell me more about your struggle. Um, so yeah, that was, it was really our wives that, that brought us together
0: as you're doing the podcast. Have you ever had that time where you're like, what else can I do? Is there more that I can offer?
1: I mean, it's funny. You should say that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily here to to sell anything, but we, that's literally the the point we're at right now where we are developing a mastermind course, where we want to be able to help more directly the the listeners of the show, the people that that, that really just need an accountability buddy, right? I mean, so many of the things that we say we can't do or the things we fail at doing, they really come down to nobody's there to push me. Nobody's there to, to hold me accountable for the things I say I want to do. It's really easy for me to say, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, I'm not going to the gym. I'm exhausted. Yeah. So we just want to offer a space where whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build a plan to quit my job because it's soul sucking or I want to lose 20 pounds or I just want to go to the gym more. I want to learn to meditate. I want to do yoga. Like, it doesn't matter what the thing is. There's there's people in our Facebook group all the time that are like, oh, I'm just trying to get the motivation to get started. Or, you know, we have conversations with people like, well, one day I'm I'm going to start. Oh, New Year's. I'm going to really get on the horse and do a thing. None of that's Whatever that thing is, you got to start it right now. And if you don't have somebody there for a lot of people, many people are self, self-motivated self and they can do that. And good for them. This This may not be for them. But if you're the kind of person that's tried. 10, 20 things and given up after day two or whatever the thing is, Like we want to be there to help. We want to support people because we've been there. I mean, it wasn't until this year that I really got into going to the gym again every day because I hated going to the gym, but I found a plan and I found a way to make it work for me. And I decided I'm the guy that goes to the gym every day. And so now I hold myself accountable to doing that. And we just want to like show other people that you can do that. You can make that decision. It's It really starts there. It really starts with deciding, I'm the person who. It can be the person, I'm the person who's going to go to space one day. Whatever it is, like decide. And then you can start mapping out the steps you're going to take to get there. But without that decision and without the the commitment and in a lot of cases, accountability, it's really hard to do. So that's what we want to try and offer people with this.
0: Right now with social media and forums, websites, there's so many people out there that says I can coach you or I mm-hmm. can be that accountability, and you. And it's so hard to know who to trust because everyone's a fitness influencer and stuff. Right. Do you feel that people that are joining your Facebook group are listening? They're coming for you because you have gone through the challenges. You've mm-hmm. gone through the struggles. So they feel that they can get more out of you for your knowledge and insight on things instead of someone who's already fit and they haven't had that true on experience right
1: yeah there there are a ton of people that you will see their pictures on the program and you're like they've got the six pack abs and they're they're yeah. rocking it they can do all the things and they're making all the money and they got all the yacht photos and all the things <laughs> i don't relate to that guy i don't know who that guy is i don't you know i don't know that i'll ever get to that level and i don't know that i need to get to that level what I do know is Zach was a few steps ahead of me on this journey, and he helped me. I'm now a few steps ahead of other people on this journey, so i wanna i wanna you know send the elevator back down and try and help people come up and so i think I think that's what sets us apart is that we're not that much farther along on the journey we're we've been at this you know collectively for twenty years, but it's you know the last ten years the two of us have been trying a lot of different things and I do the same thing where I look back at the last 10 years and go, I can't believe all the things that are just sort of part of my daily routine now that I never would have considered taking them all on yep. at the beginning. So we want to show people, like I said, just start with that one thing and we'll we'll help you. We'll get you through that first door so that you can find the next three. And then we'll we'll find a way through those. But but there's no, there's no, you know, path to create. It's the the path is there. You've just got it cluttered with a lot of stuff. So we're gonna help you clear a path to that first door so that you can get through it. And then we'll figure out what's on the other side.
0: I love how you mentioned about the connection and kind of that's similar how I am. Like I connect with, if I'm looking at something fitness, it's related. It's like, I want someone who's gone through something I've gone through. So like, As a diabetic, I look at people who are diabetics in the fitness because they struggle with diabetes, not struggle, but their challenge is diabetes, but they're also doing it in fitness. So I can relate to them more. And I think a lot of people are trying to find those individuals where they can relate to them because they feel that they know what they're talking about instead of like the jacked fitness influencer who Mm -hmm. is just. screenshot or uh what is it photoshopping most of the time it's like you can't build that connection with that person yeah some people will like looking at that but it's like no like i don't trust them at all the hard hard part about that guy is that he
1: he sells a great product yeah it's really easy oh if i do what he says i'm gonna look just like him but the minute you fall down the minute you fall down and the minute it gets hard and you fail or You find yourself, you know, crying in a pint of ice cream or whatever. It's so much harder to go to that guy and go, oh, I failed because you're going to feel like that guy never fails. I've I've failed a dozen times today, right? Like we this is this is a struggle, mental health, physical health. There is absolutely nothing easy about it. So I don't want to come out here and and tell people, oh, yeah, I've got all the answers. We're totally going to solve all your problems. This is going to be amazing. What I am going to say is that I'll hold your hand through this and we're going to figure this out. Uh, you know, yeah. I might not have the answers, but together we're going to find the answer within you because that's where most of them are. Anyways, you just, you just got to to quiet your mind long enough to figure out what is my intuition telling me? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing to overcome this challenge?
0: I mean, I wish I could just eat a bunch of bags of Doritos and look very fit. Oh, I mean, if it was that easy, I think totally. everyone would be doing it right now. Totally. <laughs> Looking at your journey, do you feel that each step you've gone through has helped you get to where you are today? Instead of if you wanted to change something and not have gone through those different items.
1: Yeah, that's one of the the big lessons from uh, Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, that I took away. It was that like everything that is worth doing is difficult. You're going to fail along the way. It's going to be hard. Anytime that you've got the choice between the easy path and the hard path, take the hard path because it's so much more rewarding. You're going to get so much more out of it. I have taken so many shortcuts in my life that were shortcuts to dead ends that went absolutely nowhere. Yep. They don't exist. I mean, you know, they're there. They'll 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 be sold to you for $3,000 for a 2-month program. <laughs> but they're nonsense. They 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 don't work. So, you know, I've I've gotten to a point where I don't I don't I honestly don't think I regret anything in my life. And that's to me that's a benchmark. I I want at the end of my life to go like, "Yeah, I I get why I failed. I get why things were hard." And and the second half of my life, I chose that a lot, um, but but yeah, the, it's all it's all made me who I am. Every stupid decision and every mistake and every time I've hurt somebody's feelings or, or done something, you know, that that I wish, you know, in some way I could take back. I don't wish I could take it back because otherwise I wouldn't have learned that lesson, and I would have probably, you know, made that offense even worse without mm-hmm. that lesson later in life.
0: So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally?
1: I think, you know, we're really just trying to help people. It's, I, I want through this mastermind to develop a course that is available to anyone anywhere in the world. I know that a lot of times a, a live mastermind is a barrier for people because they are in a time zone where they can't be up and and whatever. So I want to learn from, from what we uh, gather in these meetings and be able to create a video course that people can then just get whatever they want and, and have, and and still have access to us, right. To be, to be able to guide them and coach them along the way. Um, and you know, I also just help people with their podcasts. That's another thing I do. So I'm always just trying to find new ways to, to help people that are in the situations that I was, that I was in when I needed help. And so a lot of that right now is, is health and fitness and, and taking care of people's mental health. Um, but it's, you know, some of it's also just, just reaching out and podcasting and and helping people to help get their message out so that they can help someone else feel a little bit less alone.
0: So you mentioned how both y- yours and Zach's wives met through fitness and triathletes. Is that your future? Are you guys going to all four do a triathlete line <laughs> together. I'm feeling like we're heading in that direction. Should, you know, we should, uh, that's, that's one of those
1: mindset things that I struggle <laughs> with. My, my wife is literally, there's a triathlon in four months that she wants to do that. She keeps talking about training for, and it's one of those things where she wants someone to be accountable uh, with her. So she keeps trying to talk me into doing it. The one thing I know is that every time I've ever tried to to train for any like 5k run, like any like official thing where you're going to get a medal at the end of it, I get hurt every time because I push myself too hard where I know now I just go, all I got to do is go to the gym today. That's it. Go put in my 45 minutes and that's, I'm not trying to become something. I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm not trying to like get six pack abs. I'm going to do the time. Just go in there and, and just get a little bit stronger. But I know if I'm like, oh, on four months, I better be able to run and bike and swim and do all the th- I'm, do- I'm going to push harder and then I'm going to blow something out and then I'm going to be on the couch for a month and I'm going to start all over. So that's one of my own, you know, uh, limitations that that I hold myself back from from truly competing or challenging myself in that way because I, I'm worried about hurting myself. Uh, but now that you've said that, I feel like maybe I should probably <laughs> I should. That's that's a fear I need to face and get over it.
0: Well, I had that same kind of fear because my friend has always wanted me to do a Tough Mudder with him. Oh, brutal. And I was like, at this, and I've been on a bit for the last year. I've lost 50 pounds, been on a fitness journey. And I was just like, not comfortable at the time doing it. I'm like, it's going to take me a little bit. I need like to prepare for this. I can't just go in there cold and do it. And so I think we looked up And there was like one in like two weeks I go, that's not enough (laughs) time. And then it's like next year, but then we're trying to find like something that's like still similar, like Spartan races. And And I go, I need to train. And I'm like, I've been biking like crazy. I need to go run or something, lift weights and things. Cause I want to be prepared. I want to go in there feeling confident, not, oh, I didn't do enough to try, even though if I was at there and I didn't do enough, I'd still try my hardest to finish that course. Cause I ain't quitting. I want well, that medal at the end.
1: And the, and the position that you're in where you just lost 50 pounds. I mean, you know, I'm 70 pounds lighter than I was. And that was a few years ago and it's stayed off, but it, I still struggle with not being that guy anymore. Like I, I'm still yeah, pretty yeah. convinced that I'm going to get too winded. I'm too heavy. This is going to be too hard. Like All, all of that, like physical baggage literally is still with me mentally. So a lot of times I'll look in the mirror and I'm like, who, who are you? Like, I I don't even, because in my head, I'm still much heavier because that's who I was most of my life. So to then to make the leap from, you know, I can barely take a walk down the street to I'm going to go to a Tough Mudder. (laughs)
0: That's,
1: That's a big mental hill to climb
0: in a year. Well, even the mental struggle, like I always vision, I'm still that person 50 pounds heavier. Like I don't feel confident, but when I look in a mirror, it's people are like, you look good. And I'm like to me, but it's me feeling that way. I think it's one of those, a lot of people until they see that exactly how they want to look, it's not going to be good enough. But I think I try to stay positive. I try to stay motivated. I think of the positive of this is my goal and this is what I want to accomplish. And that has helped me stay on track each day to get mm-hmm. to where I want. Because if not, I could go back the wrong way. Like I tell myself, I haven't had fast food in a year, which mm-hmm. is tough. Yeah. Love me some McDonald's, Taco Bell, <laughs> all that stuff. Right, right. But it's a mental mindset that I've had that this is what's best for me. And yeah. when I tell, I'm like, oh, McDonald's sounds good. Nope, not gonna do it. Yep. Well, and, and, you know, just, just a warning,
1: whatever the goal is, it's going to be satisfying for like 10 minutes. Yes. Right. Like you're going to get there and you go, Oh, I hit it. Like the number on the scale is the thing I've been chasing for a year and a half or whatever it is, but you're still going to feel like the same guy two years ago. You're going to feel like the guy yesterday. So, so, you know, for someone who's going through something like that, like make the decision to drive past McDonald's because of the way you're going to feel in two hours. Yep. You know, make the decision that you, you want the, tr- you know, the treadmill to be a little bit easier tomorrow than it was today, because we get so caught up in that number on that scale, or I'm going to be happy when I'm going to reach this goal and then everything's going to be just fine. And it is awesome for 10 minutes. And then you start going, well, now what, now I'm going to celebrate, let's go to McDonald's, you know, and the cycle starts all over. So I've been trying really, really hard. And that's what, like I said, like, I don't, I don't want to set the goal of competing in a triathlon because I know it will be rewarding for 10 minutes. Yeah. Where where I know now, just telling myself, I want to go to the gym today so that I know that I'll keep going, so that in 10 years I can still play with my kids on the floor. I can I can still be an active dad and be an active participant in, in my life and the lives of people's you know, the people around me. So to me, that's that's the the bigger goal is still being able to keep up and not so much a, a number or a medal or whatever the thing is.
0: See, that's why I don't own a scale. I don't yeah. I don't want that They're number toxic. because if you go up in weight, your mind is like oh, now I gotta push myself and it can get extreme. So I, that's why I'm like, anytime I go to the doctors is the only time I see a scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, that's the only time because I you see posts all the time. Don't go on a scale, don't look at the number. It's just a number. It's not yep. It's all mental, but
1: I the scale that I, ha- I do use one, and I try to only do it every couple of weeks. But I but it's one where it's like the full body readout, so it's body fat oh, yes. it's water, it's protein, it's all the things. But the first number that flashes is is the weight, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like that F and number hasn't changed in six months, and I'm busting my ass every day. It's so it's so frustrating, and then you know, for someone with a mental health thing like depression it can be so triggering when i'm like yeah well right. screw it i'm i'm i give up i'm not doing it anymore but i've i've now gotten to a point where i can let that go and go okay it's just a number it's it's one of the 50 i'm gathering when i stand on this thing <laughs> and the rest of those are moving the right way just because that one's not moving don't get hung up don't let it ruin your day
0: the final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: I think probably the biggest thing, and this is something we're really pushing right now, is that motivation isn't real. It, it doesn't. It, it's just not a thing. It doesn't ride up on a magic horse and take you off for a ride to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Motivation is built by the hard work that you put in to become the person you want to become. So if you want to get stronger, I'm sorry, you have to lift heavy things. They're usually in a gym or they're, you know, maybe milk jugs in your fridge or something, but you've, you've got to lift heavy things. If you want to get stronger, if you want to get faster, you have to go outside and practice every single day. If you want to get better at Minecraft, you have to get on Minecraft every single day and get, you know, whatever your thing is. No one's going to show up and go, okay, here we go. Let's go, let's go yep. off and, and accomplish your goals together. So just decide. Decide what the thing is that you're trying to do. Decide you want to lose 50 pounds in a year. You know, wh- whatever the thing is. And then map it out. What does that look like? Does that mean I can't go to McDonald's anymore? Yes. Does that mean you know I need to get on a bike? Probably. Yeah. Whatever those things are. But you just have to start doing them. Maybe it's that 10-minute walk, walk I talked about but but you just have to act you have to get up and decide i'm going to do this and take action because sitting around and waiting and wishing and hoping that motivation's going to magically show up it ain't nobody's coming to rescue you you're the only one that can get you out of this mess or or get you to where you're trying to go so just start building it and and the motivation will follow because the action becomes the habit which becomes the life that you then live
0: well, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your Rise to the Challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. This is really great.
0: Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their Rise to the Challenge. Remember to follow subscribe on all major audio platforms. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to be fully in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.